Hey there. Welcome to episode four of the Detroit Pistons Brosane podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. I'm Alex Rosane. Today is June 1st and we're recording from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Today we want to talk about just a news roundup of what recent happenings, but uh, also dive into an excellent article by Nate Silver of 538 last week that was talking about when it's worthwhile signing someone to the max contract. And that's pretty relevant to us because apparently that's what Monroe's agent is trying to negotiate. So if it, we really come down to that choice, this is a pretty cool way of thinking about whether it's worth doing that. But anyway, so first let's talk about one thing we haven't mentioned yet is the draft and how unlucky we were. Yep. There was, uh, I think something like a 10% chance that we would get in the top three in the draft lottery and something like a 10% chance that we would lose our pick because somebody behind us jumped ahead and like a 79% chance we would stay at number eight and keep our pick. And uh, Cleveland jumped ahead to the number one and we lost our pick. Um, So as a result, we get to keep our pick next year. We were going to either lose this year or next year's pick. Yeah, I mean, that's a good thing to point out. It's not like we were ever going to avoid losing that pick, but you would you would hope that we're not going to be a lottery team next year. You know, next year would have been a better year to lose the pick. Yeah, no question. I mean, it's that's a silver lining more so than like, oh, we're it's better that we lost the pick. It it, it would have been better to keep the pick. Um, there's a little bit we have a little bit more um, salary cap room this year as a result of that too. You have to there's a a hold that's put on your salary cap for having a first round pick to leave you room to sign the guy. But I mean. Yeah, good, uh, first-round picks are typically a very good deal in terms of the amount of production you get compared to the little you have to pay them. So uh, that that's a bummer. There's just no way around it. And it's sort of fun just to th- I mean, or fun to think about the chain of events that led to this. Kind of the no good, no good, very bad, terrible day for Joe Dumars, where it started off in thinking that okay, let's trade Chauncey Billups when he's still worth something. And we'll get Allen Iverson. And if and he's still a good player, and if that doesn't work out, then hey, at least we're getting some cap room. So Allen Iverson ended up no longer like having that be his first season where he was no longer a good player, and he never was a good player again. He went from having his one of his most efficient seasons in the NBA to being uh, a bad player <laughs> for the first time in his life. <laughs> Okay, so they've been. Oh, but you know what? We still have the cap room. That was our our fallback. So with that cap room, maybe there's some exciting players coming into free agency that year. They were thinking that maybe Carlos Boozer would be available. Uh, but who who ended up being available for us to 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 use our money on? Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva. <laughs> and then we signed Ben Gordon to. I think we were paying him starting out twelve million dollars a year. And we knew that was overpaying, but he had just had a year where he, he, he was always an above-average offensive player, can spread the floor, can create his own shot in the clutch. And he had just single-handedly beat uh, Boston in, in a playoffs, in a couple of playoff games for Chicago. Now Boston, and that was Boston's team with the big three. Uh, Boston won the series, but I think you know Gordon uh, impressed a lot of people with his kind of heroic clutch play and just sort of went into beast mode for a couple of playoff games. And so he had been going along, and we signed him to a contract that was going to have what is supposed to be the prime ages for a guard, you know, his mid-20s, where you're at. you haven't lost your athleticism yet, 
And uh, he signed with us and immediately went from being an above-average offensive player to a below-average offensive player. And he's always been a, a bad defender. So it was and, – and this was the last year under the old collective bargaining agreement where you could sign guys to five-year contracts. Now you can only sign them to four-year contracts. So we had this five-year albatross contract. And and then that also the, – the way this ties back to the draft is that in order to – what was it to get rid of him? We gave up a draft pick, and this is the draft pick we gave up. Or that's right, we traded him to Charlotte in return for Corey Maggette, who was also useless, but useless, but whose contract ended one year earlier. In the end, that ended up saving the owner about fourteen million dollars to do that. So we we basically sold this the right to this pick, which was protected for the top eight, for what ended up being about $14 million, and it, it freed up the cap room for us to sign Josh Smith, which now we're re- slightly regretting. Although I maintain that his contract is not nearly as bad as Ben Gordon's. Josh Smith is still, you know, I think there are four Eastern Conference playoff teams that would be better with him in their starting lineup at Power 4. Yeah, so so then then we say, okay, so we lost the, the our first-round draft pick, but it's protected, so if we get a lottery pick, then we'll still get it. But then you roll the dice and freaking... The Cavs like get like a point half you know half percent chance of having won the third the first round the first pick in the draft for the third time in four seasons. So you know all these things uh, that, <laughs> that you know snowballed together, starting from losing one of the best Pistons players in the past decade of Chauncey Billups. Yeah. So it just it just uh, talk about a falling down the tree and hitting every branch along the way. <laughs> so anyway. I, I think I heard Stan Van Gundy made a statement about that, saying, "You know, it's it's definitely a disappointment, but it's not devastating. We might have gotten someone like Nick Stauskas or Gary Harris. You know, just it would have been nice to pick up potentially a pure shooter that we we'd be able to have on the wing. Uh, and but so it's just disappointing that we can't get excited about that. But I don't think it's going to you know be one of those things that kills us. It's not like we lost the." the first pick in the draft or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I don't think very many Hall of Famers were drafted number eight overall. Although some certainly were, but... Well, Drummond was drafted ninth, but that was pretty lucky. Yep, um, uh, the, that's right. It, uh, I think, yeah, Paul Pierce fell in the draft and went about uh, around there. But, you know, uh, anyway, that's uh, there were no guarantees with that. We Now we have our pick next year, and we have a little bit, ex- a couple million bucks extra to sign somebody this year. We got new uh, a new GM in town, Stan Van Gundy. He's the president of basketball operations, and he's looking to sign a full-time GM um, to help him deal with the day-to-day nuts and bolts of the GM job. But I am encouraged that he's hiring a full-time GM so that, you know, even though he has final say on stuff, he'll have somebody to talk him out of doing something stupid. Um, the reason I say that is there have been some times in the past where a coach has had front office powers too, and like Rick Pitino's tenure in Boston in the 90s, where I, th- I don't think he had that extra voice in the front office. And he ended, doing, ended up doing stuff like drafting Chauncey Billups, then getting disillusioned with him and trading him during his rookie season to Minnesota, oh, wow. giving up on him because he was pissed at him as the coach. Well, uh, you know, having a, a GM who only has front office responsibility wouldn't be able to stop that but would at least be able to try to throw his body in front of it and he also did stuff like um tried to trade for a bunch of his old kentucky university players to help him institute like running a press in the nba which is a really bad idea because nba players are so athletic and you can't get them to try hard enough to have a press actually work so 
I'm glad to have that he's looking to have another voice, a professional executive in the front office, and I guess that's all there is to see, for me to say about that. And well, one one thing that has changed. I mean, he's bringing in a whole new coaching uh, assistant coaching staff, and so they fired or they let go three uh, assistants, including Rashid Wallace. Which and to me that was really sad. I, I just one of the silver linings of this past season was seeing Drummond make a monster dunk and then zooming to the sidelines and seeing Rashid Wallace just like going nuts, wearing a suit but going nuts like <laughs> yeah. one of the players. Yeah, yeah um, that was fun. You know, Rashid was always known as a, a very heady player who, you know, the, the lead communicator on defense and stuff. So it seems like he would have something to add as an assistant coach or help the big men along. But, I mean, obviously Van Gundy needs to go with guys he's comfortable with. But um, it would have been nice to have that connection to the, you know, the championship days and keep the, the need for Sheed satisfied. Yeah, there was a there was a petition that I think I signed a couple of weeks ago of this – was, this was even before – Dumars had officially announced he was retiring. There was like a petition to have Sheed be the next head coach or the next GM or something. And I was, <laughs> I was on board for a couple of days, but you know, that was probably, <laughs> probably more nostalgia than sensible, but yeah, I'm, I'm bummed about that, but I don't hold, I'm not going to get too worried about it. I, I would overall, I just want Stan Van Gundy to just make whatever changes he thinks is going to put in a foundation for the next rise of the Pistons. A couple other things we've heard from Van Gundy are, um, there was an article where he mentioned before he evaluates any of the players and, and talks to any of them and thinks about their role, he's, he and all of his assistants that he picks are going to watch all 82 games with, be, before they get any preconceptions. And I was really impressed by that. He really wanted to just see, okay, let's forget what I read in the paper. Um, let's forget what I'm hearing around the league. Let me just watch every game. And so he's either done that or he's working on that. And there was a, an article on NBA.com by Keith Langolis, the, the Pistons writer for NBA.com, where he interviewed Van Gundy. And he said that he, he's been watching more film and he, he's been impressed with Greg Monroe and, and furthermore thinks that Monroe and Drummond are, he said, close to ideal pairing on offense and thinks they can work really well together and that um, they're not very good on defense together. But because Monroe, um, when he's playing the power forward, is asked to you know, jump out on pick and rolls and be a little more mobile, and that's not his strength. But he he said there's th- things he thinks he can do with schemes and you know having the defensive system be could take that into account to where they could really work well together. And I think that's a great sign. At, at a minimum, that just makes it so um, it sound it makes it sound like we'll we want Monroe are willing to resign him, so it makes it less likely other teams will throw a max contract at him uh, if they. It, if they don't think that they'll end up getting him, but probably more likely it means that he actually does like him and, and sees a role for him going forward. And, uh, you know, we could build our, you know, build up to being a contender a few years into the future with this core of big men. I'm, I'm glad that he likes what he sees. That's an encouraging sign. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing I've heard recently from Stan Van Gundy, he was on Mike and Mike shortly after he joined and uh, he was talking about getting people to play the right way. And then there was another article where there were some good quotes about him saying that he's, he, he doesn't need to take shortcuts. He's there for five years. And if someone is not playing, I think he said, I guarantee that we can find five players who want to play. And then if other guys want to play, they've got to play that way. So, hey, I don't, I don't think that Josh Smith will be jacking up 
as many threes this year. And and hopefully uh, Brandon Jennings will uh, try a little harder to stay within 10 feet of his man <laughs> on defense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so anyway, speaking of Monroe and whether or not he might get a max contract, there was just an excellent article from Nate Silver from 538 of of the fame of making a perfect prediction of the electoral votes. And before that, being the god of baseball statistics for baseball prospectus. Yeah, so I mean, he's, I would say him and Zach Lowe are kind of our, you know, who we want to be, and we're not, obviously. That's sort of the inspiration for the way we like to think about sports. So it was a really cool article and he he analyzed when the way the way he analyzed it was saying uh, they had he has this way of turning wins to money earned. He estimates that you know if if a player can give you ten more wins, that's worth X more million dollars. And that's a you know that's a fuzzy in itself. But if you take that for granted, then you can say okay, based on win share, how much is someone actually worth to you? Both in their first years before you re-sign them and then after you re-sign them. And there's this graph that basically shows uh, what generally a first, uh, the very first pick in the draft is is very valuable before you have to re-sign them because they're in a, on a rookie contract. But then the question becomes, do you sign them to a max? And there was, there was uh, four things he considered. And he says, if you had the policy of you always give a number one draft pick a max contract, you'll end up losing money. Uh, in, in, over the years, that over their contract, because not enough number one overall picks are, turn out to be good enough to warrant that, to make that to be a good bet. Yeah, yeah, and and he and he did say that overall, it's not as bad a situation as say the NFL, because when people come up to their after their rookie contracts, uh, players tend to peak between their third and eighth seasons, and so you'll you'll be getting them over you know over the kind of the plateau of their peak. It's yeah. not it's not like it's like or, or, I mean I would say in baseball where. Once people come up for their big contract, they're kind of on the decline. Uh, in this case, it's if someone is going to be a superstar, it would be well worth paying him. Um, so the next thing he looked at is said he said, "What if you 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 looked at all first round picks since the in the draft era, and skimmed off the top twenty percent of the first rounders in terms of win share?" Uh, which win, win share is one of those metrics we talked about in last week's podcast and is available. Um, for all the Pistons players on the, on that spreadsheet we linked to, by the way, yeah, and it's and it's an estimate of how many wins they generated, and there's some so there's some reasonable but also complicated way of dividing up who generated how many wins for you. Yep. And so if you look at the top twenty percent of the first rounders, not that doesn't have to be the first one, but if you looked at every draft and said about six people per class, uh, would would that be worthwhile? And and that still didn't work out. They said, okay, what if you look at the top 5% of the first rounders, which is only two per class, that barely comes out ahead, which surprised me, actually. And, and that, 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 that's, not, that's not number one, number two. It's like whoever ended up being the best two players out of any draft, that barely is worth giving the, the number one pick, the, the max contract to. Yeah. And what that means, I think one way to summarize this, at least in my mind, is never pay anybody the max unless – unless you're sure you would be a complete idiot not to like Kevin Durant and LeBron James, you have, it's obvious, but um, the, the example that that article is partly based around is Kyrie Irving. Number one overall pick. He was the, I I believe he was the all-star game MVP this last year. He's been an all-star his second and third seasons. This last year was his third year. You know, he's only, I believe 21 years old. Um, So he's, 
you know, before his peak. And they're saying, you know, based on this criteria, he hasn't been good enough yet to, to prove he's worth a, a max contract. And there's been some talk around the league about, oh, is he worth a max contract? Mostly due to kind of leadership issues. But, you know, that, that's really interesting because you ha- here you have an all-star point guard who was picked number one overall and the franchise thought they were building around. It's, uh, that's a, it's a bold statement to say you don't give a guy like that the max because uh, I think in a lot of front offices that would be a no-brainer. Yeah, and, and he says basically if you have a 99-percentile player, like the top 1%, you know, the James Durant, Chris Paul, uh, you know, Shaq, uh, Shaq and Tim Duncan, then it's obviously going to be – those are even worth paying the Supermax contract with the, all the maximum amounts of uh, raises per year. Yeah, there have been other articles saying that LeBron James, if there were no salary cap, like he'd be worth $40 million a year. Yeah, there was a, a whole planet money on that actually. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, I think it, yeah, it might have been forty or even fifty million to his franchise. Uh, crazy, but, but all in all, he says like, has your guy made an, an All NBA team, or would it have been entirely reasonable for him to do so? Then offer him the max contract. If not, then don't. But he said that the challenge isn't, isn't so much in knowing who's going to be a ninety nine percent out player, but instead figuring out the difference between a ninety fifth and a ninetieth percent player. And he, and he gives some good examples in the, in the article. Like, who are some of the top 5% players that would be worth it? There's Tim Duncan, Vince Carter, Dirk Nowitzki. Who wouldn't be worth it? Chauncey Billups, Baron Davis, Steve Francis, Wally Zerbiak, Paul Gasol, Tayshawn Prince. I mean, these are all 90 to 95th percentile players during their prime. Ben Gordon. <laughs> I'm actually kind of wondering about that one. Like, when was he ever a 90th percentile player? He was an above-average player for a couple of years there. Yeah, but anyway, so it's it's good food for thought, and that would, but based on this criteria, I think that would essentially definitely mean that Moose is not worth a max contract. He's he hasn't even been an all star. That's right. But as I, you know, mentioned a couple episodes ago, there aren't very many players who have done what he's done: sixteen points, nine boards, fifty percent shooting, uh, as young as he has, and. You know, there are a lot of real great players are among the list who had, and not many bad players, almost no bad players. So it's really a question of value. I think it's very clear that he's a good player, and if you're if he's in your starting lineup, you, you have a chance to be a good team. But there's uh, there's a budget constraint. You, there's a hard, pretty much a hard salary cap. No one's willing to pay the luxury tax these days, at least if you're not a crazy Russian billionaire like the Brooklyn Nets owner. So... What, what do you do if you do – do you throw all the money that a good player demands at him? Are we really sure that if we don't match somebody's max contract offer to Monroe that we can use that money better on other players? Um, and that really brings up the one of the main dilemmas that GMs face, which is you have this money. You, 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 know, you bring a wad of cash to the market, but it's not, it's not like there are always players available to spend it on. And – your fans won't wait for you to pick your shot over a period of one or two or three years. Um, and that's how you end up just getting impatient and signing a guy. And then that's why, that's why only, you know, five to eight teams are contenders every year. And the other couple dozen teams in the league are not in contention for the title. Yeah. And it's like even Sam Van Gundy with a five-year mandate, if he passes on Monroe, that's basically saying, Okay, so we we dodged a four year max contract, but then what else, what else are you going to do? I mean, a bird in the hand. But I, I still feel like after reading that, I would prefer to 
if, if he's going to actually demand the max and gets an offer from someone else, let someone else take him. Uh, if we can talk him down and to take more of like a Josh Smith size contract or something like that, then keep him. But uh, just to me, it's like if, if you're going to sign a max contract, don't sign someone who isn't even an all-star yet, let alone a first NBA team. Yeah, and, and not to mention the fact that we already have guys who play his positions. Um, Drummond plays center, and Josh Smith plays power forward uh, passably, uh, if not well. Um, I, you know, I think he plays it well still, but it remains to be seen going forward. You know, uh, and we could, it's possible we could get something back for him. If, uh, if a team wants to pay him the max, but doesn't have the cap room to just make him the offer outright, that we might be able to do a sign and trade where they give us, you know, one young player on a decent contract and a couple draft picks. That'd be nice. We could just sort of plow that into our future plans to have some assets and, uh, and move forward from there. I don't feel super strongly about this one way or the other because let's say a max contract's $15 million and, and we think he's worth $13 million. I mean, gosh, you know, is it really make or break to have the equivalent of wasting $2 million of your cap a year? Uh, that can happen all the time where you, you, know, you, sign a, you, you draft a rookie and uh, he sucks for a couple of years. That there are no teams that don't win a title because they have a guy on the end of their bench making two million who sucks. Yeah, I mean the other thing about the Nate Silver article is that it's not like the goal. I mean, the goal obviously of a franchise is in part to become a profitable business. But in terms of maximizing wins, if you can shoulder someone not generating enough revenue for you, but it's still you're still better off for those years than you would have been with the options that are available, you, you would rather have spent the money and had a better team in that meantime. So it's still hard to say, but because he hasn't even been an all-star, I just feel like after reading the article, I, I think that we have a good backup plan, which is to play Smith and Drummond. And, and, that, that, and, and that gives us enough time to, to look around for a couple more years and see what else might come up. Yeah, the, that's true. And the, and the reason that Monroe is going to be offered the max by somebody is because he's, he's a good player and – a lot of teams are just desperate to go from being a bad team to a decent team, and that's good enough for a lot of teams. Like, I think you know the Milwaukee Bucks, for example, last year threw a lot of mid mid range money at some middling players to try to go from being a terrible team to to a decent team. They had some bad luck with injuries and um, Larry Sanders um, being a jackass off the court, breaking his thumb in a bar fight, and all this stuff, and they ended up being in the lottery again. But what they were trying to do was what Dallas did, which is sign a bunch of submax players to decently healthy contracts just to get some good players on your team. And Monroe's a good player. But you said submax contracts. They did. Yep, that's right. So for, for so a max contract for Monroe, I just feel like that's a I just mean somebody yeah. that that's why I'm sure somebody's going to offer it to him cuz that the lure of of not being bad anymore by having a good player in your lineup is going to be enough for somebody to say, you know what, let's just go for it. Yeah, and and I guess that means it makes me kind of sad because that basically means that someone is going to offer it to him, and I kind of hope we don't match it and we let him go. Uh, if we end up matching it and keeping him, I like I like Monroe, so I'm not going to be so down on it. But if I were the GM, that would be my call. I think. Yeah, it, it would be. A, I, I would really try to engineer a situation where we at least get um, a draft pick or a or, or a player back for him, even if it's. 20 cents on the dollar. It, it might be the right decision to, to let him go for nothing if, if that's what it comes down to. So, and the one thing that they mentioned in the article that I, I still am not clear on is that 
So Monroe is here for another year. Yes. But we but you have to decide on the contract before the season starts. Is that right? So here here's what it is. At the end of a rookie contract for someone who was a first-round pick, they have these structured contracts. You have a year where a guy is an, a, a restricted free agent, which means the team who owns their rights has the right to match any any offer. And if he does any offer, he gets. So if a guy, so we're assuming that some team is going to come and, and offer him a max contract, and then we have to decide to let him go with that team, or to match the contract and pay him what the other team signed him for. Now, it, he can sign if he doesn't. If he doesn't end up signing a contract with another team, we we can either let him go as an unrestricted free agent, or we can offer him what's called the qualifying offer, which is we'll pay you this amount, which is like a little bit above league average or something, and keep you for this year. You can play for that amount and then be an unrestricted free agent next year, and that that's where we don't have the right to to match any offers. So in, in, that, in that case, in that scenario, then you get one more year of information, but if he ends up being awesome, then we, then we wouldn't be able to keep him because it's likely that someone else would make him a more appealing offer or a different city might be a more appealing to him. And, and if he, and if he's pissed off at us for not, for making him play for the, the, the qualifying offer for another year, which is like, you know, probably eight to 10 million bucks less than, than the max offer he's going to get from somebody. Then you end up, you could end up like um, the situation that Minnesota's in with Kevin Love, where he they know he's playing for them for one more year, and he, then he's an unrestricted free agent, so they're just really over a barrel with what to do with him. So a couple of scenarios where we get something good from Monroe would be a somehow we convince him, or there's not enough, there's not a team that offers him a max contract, and we can get him for a contract that we think is worthwhile. Yes, maybe a twelve million dollar contract or something. Um, another scenario is that no one offers him a contract, and we could do the what you just mentioned. But it, but if you're right, and someone's going to offer him a max contract, then it's going to it's going to come to a head pretty quickly here. Yep, we'll find we'll we'll have a certain period of time to match it, and and um, so what what we'll try to do, I think, is see who wants him, and if if there's a team that wants that doesn't have the cap space to make him a max offer, but wants to pay him an amount that is more than we want to pay. Then we can try to ex- extract some con- assets from them, a young player or a draft pick. But, but why would we be able to extract any assets from them if they're just going to offer them? Well, it, the, so there, there are kind of two categories of teams here. Teams that just have the cap room to just make him the offer, and, and they can just sign him to a free agent. We have no leverage with them. We can't get any assets from them. Uh, let's say the Brooklyn Nets decide they want to pay Monroe the max. They, they don't have any cap room to make that offer, but they could offer us some players back to to make the trade work under the cap so if they could trade us um some players that make a little bit less than that makes sense max. and and, then, and it wouldn't be like we, they just get to unload people on us it'd be like if only if it really made sense for us then we'd agree to that that, that it'll be really interesting to to see how this unfolds a, a big thing is whether or not anyone makes them an, a max offer i tend to agree that in today's nba climate there's going to be somebody out of the 30 nba teams that is going to see Monroe and say he's good uh, and let's just go for it. And the rest of our offseason will fall like dominoes once we once that unfolds, whether we know whether we have him or not. If if he signs with somebody else and we quote lose him for nothing, we go from having, you know, 10 million dollars of cap room to having more like 20. That then we have enough money to make someone else a, even a max offer. Like LeBron I mean, James. LeBron James, Carmelo <laughs> Anthony, those guys, those guys are free agents. Now they're not going to sign with us, 
But we have, you know, there's another restricted free agent out there, Eric Bledsoe of Phoenix, uh, who's, you know, young point guard. Probably also not worth the max. Probably also going to get it from somebody. But, you know, maybe we could sign a couple of uh, a couple of players with that cap room. And then there's a question, is that if you have cap room, does that basically mean you have to make a decision to spend it? And would that force us to make bad decisions? I mean, maybe that's another Well, a lot of teams thinking short-term will do that. One, one thing you can do is, um, well, two things you can do with cap room other than just bite the bullet and sign somebody to perhaps too big a contract. One is what Philadelphia 76ers did this last year. They didn't spend all their money, and they were actually clo- you know, paying uh, an amount under the maximum salary cap. And they just decided, like, we're not going to be good this year. And they just did. They were there. They had to struggle to make the. There's a minimum amount of salary you need to have. Um, so that's one thing you can do is just just don't spend the money. Well, we we could do that and actually potentially be a better team this year if we had Smith and and Drummond play well together. Yep. And, so, and Drummond gets a little better, and uh, I mean, it, KCP gets a little better. Uh, that would definitely be a uh, building for the future move, and impatient Pistons fans would probably have trouble swallowing that. Yeah, but, but it's better than doing what we did last season and, and or, or with uh, frickin' Villanueva. And, you know, I, I don't want to make bad decisions. And I, I So, I don't know. If I had to – so if I were GM, I would not make a max contract offer. But if I had to predict what's going to happen, is I'm guessing that we will. Just based on what I'm hearing from Stan yeah. Van Gundy and what he's – you know, he's coming in, he wants to have some momentum. So we're probably going to end up giving him the max – yeah. And we just better hope that he ends up being an all-star. Yeah, that, that's true. The second thing you can do with cap room other than sign a player that you like is you can, quote, rent out your cap room to another team like we did when we uh, gave up a draft pick to get uh, Ben Gordon's carcass off of our off of our cap sheet a year earlier. If uh, You know, um, let's say we, we don't sign Monroe and we have $20 million of cap room and um, the New York Knicks want to – um, want to make some moves, and they have um, Amari Stoudemire signed a twenty million dollar contract that lasts for one more year. If they wanted to have us take on Amari Stoudemire, swallow up our our cap room for a year, and then give us some assets, yeah, some first, like some first round picks, some draft picks, or or some something, just I we don't even have to say what. You can extract a price for renting out your cap space for a year. Yeah, you know we could do that to build for the future too. The thing is though. You know, if you keep hoarding cap room, but then you you never think a player any players are good enough for your money, you you know you end up with Scrooge McDuck swimming in a vault of gold, and and, and that doesn't win you basketball games. And, and the, the thing is, our is our only path to a championship caliber team to get lucky and have someone come through the draft. I mean, can the Pistons ever attract someone who's a proven All Star or first NBA team to come to Detroit? Well, you you can. We can draft him. We're probably not going to have a guy force his way here, like you know Kevin Garnett forcing his way out of Minnesota to Boston, or Shaq forcing his way out of Orlando to the Lakers. But we could have a uh, an awesome guy um, just be on the trade block for whatever reason. Like we almost traded for Joe Dumars, almost traded for Kobe Bryant back when he was in contract negotiations, and the Lakers were starting to be a bad team, and he was really pissed about it. I guess uh, we were really close to. We had a trade deal done to get Kobe Bryant at the end of the. Um, I, I don't know who we were trading for him, and uh, it fell through for some reason. So you can you can have that happen. Yeah, or maybe someone like a Steph Curry comes up and we're able to get him, or or a, you know maybe maybe not a. 
I don't know. Like, we're not going to get LeBron James probably, but, you know, maybe someone who's actually is very efficient and an awesome player. Yeah, it's so it's it's possible to trade for a great player if for some reason he wants to get out of his his uh, away from his team and he doesn't feel like he can force his way to the Knicks. But the other thing, you know, you can do is we ended up getting Chauncey Billups and Ben Wallace and building a championship team around them. Those are both guys who probably will end up being in the Hall of Fame but weren't first-team All-NBA guys. Um, maybe Chauncey Bell has made first-team once. I, I would have to look that up. But, I mean, basically, we had two A-level stars, and we got those just kind of randomly. Like, Chauncey, we signed to a free agent contract, um, and he, for more than people thought he was worth, and then he turned out to be great. Yeah, uh, Ben Wallace, um, people, he's an unconventional player. And people really undervalued how important he was on defense because he scored like seven points per game. And uh, we got him as just like a, a flotsam thrown in on the Grant Hill trade where he forced his way out of Detroit to Orlando. And we got back a few like random pieces that included Ben Wallace. And so, and then we, we made a couple other good moves. We drafted Tayshawn Prince. He was better than his draft slot. And then we traded Jerry Stackhouse for... Rip Hamilton, and we fleeced Michael Jordan, uh, Charlotte, in that trade, and boom, we had a contender. So it can happen, um, mainly through the draft, and we we've drafted some good guys. We've we've got some some pieces. Yeah. So and if so, I, if Drummond can become that sort of first level NBA, first team NBA level player, which I think he's the one player who could, uh, and you and then you get like a Monroe, who's a 90th percentile player, if he can grow to that and be an All Star, and then we end up picking up someone else who is another A-minus player or B-plus player, and we actually have a really good system and we can start playing, you know, unselfishly like the Spurs, you know, then 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 that's a scenario where the Pistons can end up being a contender again. It'll be really interesting to see what happens in, with Monroe's contract. I think that's going to be the most interesting story of the offseason, obviously. Yep. Uh, and as I said, all the dominoes fall from there. And um, I, it'll be inter- interesting to see whether it's before or after the draft that that happens. I'm not sure what the calendar holds, you know, when free agency is open or not, but so that, that's that.